0: Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, ParastylePodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Paristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham.
1: hello trojan fans and welcome to episode number 57 of the peristyle podcast today it's march 19 2009 and if you don't know the peristyle podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the usc trojans we focus of course on the football team but there was some exciting news in basketball this week so on the podcast we will definitely get to that but first we got to talk some football. We got to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde. He was not with us last week, unfortunately, but he is back again. Coach, how you doing,
2: buddy? I'm doing just great. I uh, I'd like to say I was on spring break, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't on spring break. I was uh, I wasn't uh, down in the Bahamas or anything like that. Miami Beach. Uh, I was up in Vegas had some assignments to do up there, so. I missed you, but uh, let's try to make up for it this week.
1: Certainly. And it is the spring break edition, Coach, of the Parrot Podcast. The uh, players all have the week off. The coaches have the week off. So we didn't, weren't down in any practices and stuff this week getting our videos up there for uscfootball.com. But, you know, we, we got, still got a lot to talk about on the football team. And uh, we're going to have some questions, Coach, from the fans, of course. We've been doing that every week. If you have any questions for us, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com, or people like to post uh, questions up on the message boards as well on uscfootball.com, so feel free to stop by there and do that. But before we get into that, I just wanted to thank our sponsor for this segment, Southern California Tickets. You will need tickets for any kind of sporting event, NCAA tournament, you want to go to Minneapolis, sctickets.com is the website. If you want to give them a call, you can give them a call at one 800 7287. And it's not just sports. Concerts, theater, stuff like that. Tickets for anything, try com.
2: Well, thank you very much. And I'll tell you, I want to second that too, uh, Ryan, when I say thank you very much. I just want to thank you for letting people know an opportunity that is worthwhile as far as calling them and just exploring the idea. You know, you might want to Think about going to the Dodgers uh, game opening day or something like that, and you've never thought of doing that before. So this is an opportunity to call Southern California Ticket Service and really find out if sometimes uh, there's some things you can go to, uh, the NBA playoffs, the Lakers, things that you never thought you could get to.
1: All right. Well, that, let's get to a couple questions, Coach. I think the, the main point we wanted to talk about today is uh, was redshirting. And uh, we talked a little bit about it last week, and I wanted to give you a chance to share on that. But there was a, another question I wanted to kind of to throw by you at first. There's People throw out these terms. This is from uh, Terrian from TD. He wanted to know um, why is the defensive tackle position called a three technique, and are there other alternate descriptions for other positions on the field? I, mean, I, I guess during draft time you hear that a lot. You'll hear the draft – Analysis people saying, ah, oh, you know, he's he's a three technique, but he could move outside and stuff like that, or he could play five tech you know, stuff like that. Where, you know, can you kind of explain that a little bit?
2: Well, you know, normally what happens is you have techniques on the line of scrimmage that you talk to you. We want you to use a three technique or five technique or whatever, which means you know you either want to, you want to play head up, or you want to play outside shoulder, or you want to play the gap. Or well, you want to play a certain you might head up uh, line up head up and then take a gap and so on. So techniques just describe your area of responsibility and what you're gonna play. It starts there. That's where you line up and if you could just play that technique. You if you like you hear tackles, defensive tackles basically wanna you want guys that could hold their ground and ball rush where your linebackers are free and people can't get out on your linebackers and so on. So, you know, you, you hear of these different numbers of techniques, but they, they give you the alignment of where a defensive lineman, a defensive end or whatever, line up and where their responsibility is. We want you to play this type of technique. You know, uh, before we used to just call it uh, you play head up or you play inside shoulder, you play outside shoulder. I know a lot of our uh, uh, football fans or football players played in the old days used to hear that, play head up play both sides of the gap, keep them off your linebacker, or play in the gap and, and take the gap, or play on the outside shoulder. And Remember, you play on the outside shoulder. When you play on the outside shoulder, make sure you're always ready for the double team. But you to put a guy on the outside shoulder because that's where the double team would come from, the tight end or so And Now they call it numbers, techniques as far as, you know, they might say your five technique is an outside shoulder, your three technique is a head up, or whatever or you got the inside gap zero gap, which is the gap between the center and the, and the guard, you know you got responsibility, so what happens is in in rather than call it your head up and you got gaps or you got both sides of the center like a nose guard they they give it numbers
1: okay, and then so the the gaps i mean they they each gap along the line center guard guard there's referred to numbers, and is that where these these kind of numbers correlate with?
2: Right, right, and then also, you know, a head-up position would tell you also, we want you to play a certain head-up technique, or which would be rather than a head technique, a three technique, or a five technique, or uh, whatever technique that you're, 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 you're wanting the person to play.
1: All right, all right, well, that's cool, thank you very much, Coach, I know it gets kind of technical, and you hear those terms thrown out a lot especially during draft time, because they're talking about guys switching positions from college to pro, stuff like that.
2: It just makes it sound real sophisticated, when yeah. really it isn't, okay? okay? Instead of saying the guy, guy plays head up or play outside shoulder or inside shoulder and you're responsible for the inside gap or whatever, it just sounds, you know, a little bit uh, more uh, like everyone's a lot smarter, you know? Okay.
1: <laughs> all right, coach. Uh, well, so the, the big topic, and this comes up a lot on the USCFootball.com message boards. And, you know, they brought it up last week on the podcast. Um, this is from uh, Super Laker. I'll kind of read you his question, but it's, it's fairly common. Um, he wanted to know why USC doesn't redshirt more freshmen like other schools. Uh, he mentioned Malcolm Smith, Marshall Jones, Stephon Johnson, TJ Bryant could all save a year of eligibility. And they, they barely played. And Patrick Turnery mentioned who didn't play much during his freshman year. Um, does Pete Carroll not regret redshirting some players? And what's his theory on redshirts? And I guess, I guess the thing is, I mean, a lot of people think of this as you're trying to save guys. And I, I mean, I'll let you explain kind of your philosophy and Pete Carroll's philosophy. But it, it seems, you know, Pete Carroll doesn't have that same kind of thought process. He's not looking to save guys. He's looking to play them.
2: Right, and he recruits on that basis. If you're good enough to play, you've got that opportunity to play. I'm going to give you that opportunity to play. But now it's a different it's a different uh, thing in college football, especially when you're on the SC level, Ohio State level, Alabama level. You're going to college really uh, to get a degree, don't get me wrong, but you're also looking uh, on when and how soon and how fast can I get recognition to, to play in the NFL. I want to demonstrate my skills and so on. And and putting off a year when you can play and you redshirt costs you maybe a million dollars or costs you more money than that and so on. And and you don't want to really redshirt if you can play and get experience on the field. So if you were to recruit a lot of freshmen, great freshmen, five-star, four-star pre- freshmen and say, well, we're going to redshirt you, they wouldn't want to come to your school. They want to go where they can play. So you've got to give five-star, four-star players the opportunity of competing for a starting position So because their clock actually starts. And you have two types of redshirt. You redshirt, first of all, to let someone mature and get better, and you normally see that among the offensive linemen, normally. You have the medical redshirt, which means if you injure your knee, your redshirt, you get that year back. Now they've gone as far now, and which I love with the NCAA, they're giving medical red shirts to players who maybe were injured two years or only played three games in two years or whatever they're giving them an additional year and i think that's a great thing to give kids because it gives them an opportunity to graduate they haven't really played a full career and there's a lot of paperwork and stuff that you have to do. You see that happening. In fact, I think uh a player from who was it this year that got one from sc was it Pin, Pinkert, Pinkert Yeah, like so Pinkert? two
1: two players for USC or like their yeah. sixth year uh you know Jeff Byers, Byers and right. and uh and Josh Pinkert. Yeah, so Pinkert definitely right. was granted that.
2: Right, and that's because they had been injured a long time and a lot of and missed a lot of games and so on. So the NCAA Awarded them another year of eligibility, which which is great, because they weren't ready to come out or they hadn't had the experience, and they wanted them to graduate and so on. Which there's no problem with Jeff because he be, he's working on his MBA already, but a lot of a lot of students are in that situation. So if you if you recruit a kid thinking that he's going to redshirt, the kid's saying, "Well, you don't think I'm good enough to play?" Then I want to you you recruit when you recruit at the level Pete Carroll recruits at. These kids all feel they're good enough to play right now and they want their opportunity to play right now. And they come in and they've got to prove to themselves that when they practice that they're not holding back because they know they're not going to have that opportunity to play, but they're going to redshirt me. And they want to be able to challenge who's ever playing in front of them. And they want to make note of that because at every practice, as you know, Ryan, there is an NFL scout. There are several NFL scouts there. Every practice is videotaped, and, and people can look at those and, and watch the progress of, of athletes or even freshmen. So if, when you recruit at that level that USC recruits at, you can't go out and recruit and say you're going to redshirt. When you go out and recruit, you say you're going to play. If the opportunity comes, we want you to compete. And when a kid knows he can compete to play, he practices at a different pace. He plays at a different pace and in, in practice because he is not there to be redshirted. So he moves along quicker and he gets better sooner. And uh, if he does injure himself or so on, then he has that medical redshirt shirt to, to to utilize. So you know, in Pete Carroll's situation, they they redshirt very few players. I can think of a couple of players that they've redshirted, which really does help the player it really does help the player especially if you're a player that's only going to play a few plays or not really get a starting role but most players today all think about not only graduation but they think about playing on sunday and making the big bucks and they want to have that opportunity to challenge and play and uh, be recognized and if you redshirt normally all the time you're going to be a scout team guy and you're going to run everybody else's plays and and you're, and you're not going to really get that opportunity to be in the huddle or learn the offense or the defense. You're learning everybody else's offense and defense. And, and it, 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 you know, it's, it's a tough year to go out and practice every day knowing you're not going to play. It's tough.
1: Okay, Coach. And I guess if you look at it from, and we mentioned this last week, it's just even from like if you're playing a video game and you're looking at purely from the uh, perspective of the team or the, the coach or whatever, Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to keep kind of guys in reserve who aren't going to play every play. If they're not starting, it's like why you know you don't really need them. But if you're, I I think you brought up a really good point. Looking from the player's point of view, I mean, you, it's it's not really beneficial to the player all the time that you know if Stephon Johnson did redshirt and he would have had you know another year of wear and tear on his body in college. Like if he can impress the NFL scouts enough after his you know regular eligibility of four years and can move on. It seems like that works out better for him in most cases.
2: It does. And I'll tell you another thing. You never, and I hate to use this term or or mention this, you know, sometimes you have to make a decision as a freshman, as a coach, is this young man going to contribute to our program? Now, sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes, man, this player isn't what we thought he was going to be. And you say, well, should we redshirt him or should we redshirt him? Well, in a lot of situations you say, no, we're not going to redshirt him. Because he, if we redshirt this young man, then what's going to happen? We're going to waste a year's scholarship on this young man, and we're not going to be able to bring in another recruit. So sometimes you don't redshirt players. You think that everyone thinks that should be redshirted. But that young man is never going to contribute to a level of what you expected him or forecasted him to be, and it's a terrible thing to say. But coaches make mistakes, and people don't really grow into what you – assume they'll grow into. You see players transferring a lot of times from colleges, but the young player understands it. I'm in over my head. And you see the coaches releasing them to go to another school. You say, why did they release him? Well, they released him because they felt it was best for that individual to move on. That player wouldn't beat them. And it opened up a scholarship for them to utilize for another player.
1: That's a good point, Coach. I didn't think about that, but that's, I guess that's kind of the, uh, I mean, not evil, but just kind of, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on here in recruiting, and, if, and to get a player out in four years as opposed to five, if he's not the right kind of person, I guess, would make sense if you want to try to free up that scholarship a year earlier.
2: That's exactly right. Plus, uh, you know, if this kid wants to play, then he gets that opportunity to move on to another school or... You get him right through school. You don't take a scholarship. You made a mistake. It's not the kid's fault you made a mistake. The kid came there and he, and you with all great intentions of playing for you, and if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. You don't see schools taking scholarships from players. If you start to take scholarships from players because you made a mistake, you are not going to be able to get out there and recruit, Because that word gets away, around, and kids aren't going to come to your school.
1: No, that's a good point, Coach, and uh, I – I want to know how much special teams comes into play because it seems like the two positions that at least for pete carroll that get redshirted the most you'd see offensive linemen and quarterbacks and uh i mean neither of those positions you're, you use on special teams all that much but guys like linebackers and cornerbacks and stuff a lot of times even though they're not starting or might might not even be on the too the deep they're in there contributing on special teams and it seems like if they're, you know, for at least for Pete Carroll, if they're able to contribute on special teams and play at a high level, there, uh, you know, it's it's worth letting them play as opposed to redshirting them.
2: Oh, it really is. It really is because they get game experience. They they get to travel. They know what it's like to get ready for big ball games and play in hostile environments. Like these kids that'll be playing linebackers uh, this year for USC. They've been on the road. They've played in the Rose Bowl. They've been on the field. They've seen the lights on before. They know what it's all about. If you were to shelter them, and they couldn't travel, and you red them, and then next year you expected these, these three linebackers to play, it'd be a culture shock to them if they haven't had that opportunity. Because a lot of times you don't even dress red-shirts. You know, I used to dress them, or I used to give them their option. Do you want to dress or don't you want to dress? But you know they're not going to play. So they never get that adrenaline rush. They don't know what it's like to go on the field and cover a kickoff and have a responsibility on the team and be looked up to and all of this stuff. So it's really important that you utilize when you can. Now, if you don't have team depth, then you can't take a chance on on special teams of not playing your first team. But if you have players that have the ability to play and there's not that much of a drop-off, then you want to get them on the field.
1: Okay, and Coach, I mean... And
2: you can hear my dog. My yeah. dog wants to get on the field. <laughs> she does not want to be redshirted.
1: No. She told me that
2: when I start talking redshirt, she gets mad. You can no. see that right now. She's tired of study hall. She's tired of all that. She wants to graduate. <laughs>
1: That's okay, Coach. Um, uh-huh. It definitely seems, though, that Pete Carroll is uh, less willing to redshirt than either other coaches that are, are around today. Um, I mean, if you have any chance of playing, he does like to get him on the field. How is, how was it different in your day and like what your philosophy was? Did you guys redshirt more people then than you see now?
2: Oh, yes, much more. We redshirted. I, I, if I could, and I had a real good group of returning players, I'd want to redshirt almost every freshman we got because it gave them an the extra year to mature and become a better player. It was their fifth year. I had a fifth-year player every year. I mean, these guys would live in the weight room, they'd be bigger, they'd be faster, they'd be more mature. Instead of graduating at 28 or 21, I'd have a 22-year-old senior. And that one year really makes a lot of difference. It really makes a lot of difference in a player as far as his maturity and so on. So in the old days, you would want to redshirt your entire freshman class if you could. Because remember, players couldn't come out early then. Players played their full four years. And then also you had a med- you know, you, you wasted a medical redshirt year when you redshirted them, but you were willing to take that chance because they were new into college and you wanted them to work on their academics. They didn't travel, they could study on the weekends, uh, and, and then the next spring they would really be a part of spring practice because they could then challenge for a starting position as a redshirt freshman. But they're a year or older, they're more mature, they're ahead academically, they get a good start with their grades, they don't have the pressures, and, and they have a lot of adjustments in going to college. Yeah, I would redshirt my entire freshman class if I could.
1: And, and looking at some guys, one of the examples he brought up was Patrick Turner. It would be hard for me, I mean, I think Patrick Turner's career went out well. Yeah, he didn't play as much as freshman year, but you know, he'll he'll... He'll be drafted, and you know he had a lot of he contributed a lot throughout his different career. It, it'd be weird to even picture him coming back for a fifth year. So for some guys, it just doesn't seem to make sense. And then other guys, you know, they, you know, it, it could actually backfire. Um, I mean, when you have a guy, you know, like like a David Osbury or, or a Bryce Butler um, redshirted, and uh, you know, it it made him think if he wanted to stick around or not. You know, he actually contemplated transferring. So I guess it could. You know, reverse people. So especially guys that are from out of state, I think Pete Carroll doesn't want to redshirt those guys at all. Get them playing, get them involved in the program right away so they stick around.
2: You're exactly right. When When he recruits out of state, you've heard this and you know this, he does not recruit out of state an athlete or offer an athlete out of state unless he feels that athlete is going to be a number one draft choice, number first round draft choice. And uh, if he's that good a player, then that player's got to be able to come in and compete. Now, when he recruited Patrick Turner, I think he was the number one receiver in the country. <laughs> so you're, you're going to tell him he's going to come in and redshirt? I mean, the kid wouldn't even sign. The kid would have left if you're going to tell him he's going to redshirt. What do you mean I'm the number one receiver in the country? You, you know, sometimes you have to promise kids something, like a jersey number, if you remember, yeah. <laughs> or things like that. Uh, to, to, remember when Mike Garrett gave up number 20? Yep. I mean, Mike Mike said, how good of a player he is. How good of a player? And he said, he's a great player. Can't remember his name from Long Beach Poly, his safety. Yeah. What was his
1: Darnell, name? Darnell Bing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he says, you give him my number. Because sometimes, kids, those things are big deals. So you do where you put together what you can as a package, which is legally you, you can do, to recruit kids. I mean, you've got to... Do and have the opportunity and give these kids that opportunity. Otherwise, that kid comes down and sits in your office and he says, Hey coach, you told me all these things. What's going on? And you've got to be able to answer that. And then his dad's calling, or his mom's calling, saying, What's going on? And all of a sudden, uh, you know, he's telling his high school coach, and his high school coach is saying, What's going on? And then all of a sudden, this high school coach goes to high school coaching conventions and he says, this is what happened with Patrick Turner. This is what they told him. So what's going on? Don't listen to what uh, all these things they tell you. So, you know, the uh, the profession uh, is not, you know, a hush-hush profession. you got to treat your kids all right and try to treat them fair, and you got to do what you tell them when you recruit them. Otherwise, you know, the, the next recruit doesn't believe you because you use these recruits on visits. These high, these college athletes take kids around campus. They take them to dinner. And when they sit down, they can really influence if a kid wants to come to USC. So you want that kid to be happy, and you want that kid to be able to say, every single thing that they told me when I was coming here, they have done.
1: Now, Coach, I'm going to read between the lines here. Did you tell little white lies when you were recruiting kids?
2: <laughs> no. No, I really didn't. Really? I, I really didn't. I, I would tell them this. Whenever you don't do what I'm telling your parents right here, then I'm going to ask you to do and what I'm telling them. I'm going to call your parents, and I'm going to put you on the phone, and right in front of your parents, I'm going to tell them you missed a class. And then I'm going to let my parents know, your parents know exactly why you got an F in that class. Or if you're not starting or, or you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to do in the weight room, I'm, we're going to come into my office, we're going to call your parents, and I'm going to say... This whole week he missed all his weight workouts. Now, now, if he uh, continues doing this, then don't blame me if he doesn't get what he's supposed to get out of USC. And you put it back on the kid. You put it back on the parents. You let them know. You never cover up what's happening to a young man academically, also on the field or in the off season. You never can do that because what happens, it comes back to bite you. You've got to have pe- pressure from the parents to help you have this kid reach his goals.
1: All right, Coach. Well, I think we're going to let you uh, tend to the, your non-redshirted puppy there. Uh, uh, and, yeah, uh, she's
2: not redshirted. She I'm not... going to tell you that. And she's got to get <laughs> to study hall. And you know what that means, don't you? She's got to get out.
1: We have to give – You know, next time we'll just bring some treats for her. So we'll make sure she's uh, not well, as – Why don't as, we as, do this?
2: Why don't we have a dog show? <laughs> huh?
1: We could do that. My why don't we have a dog show? My girlfriend has a cat. I don't know – she might. Not, he might not make that much noise, but we could. You know, we can try something like that, Coach.
2: You know how I many you know how many football games my dog watches? A lot, About an awful lot. Believe me, sits right next to me and watches all the games too. Okay.
1: All right. Well, she's got to be learning more than I do. <laughs> I doubt that, but Coach, we appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks for the uh, discussion on red shirting, and we'll definitely talk to you next week.
2: Ryan, I apologize, too, for my little dog uh, out there, but uh, she likes to be recognized, too, okay?
1: Oh, no problem, no problem. And thanks to uh, SCTickets.com. We'll be back after this really short break. We're going to talk to USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Wiecki about winter workouts, and we got to talk about the USC basketball team.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we have with us uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Waikie in studio. I actually let him into the... I was just going to say that, yeah. actually.
3: I was going to be like, you, you You opened the door.
1: You must have right. thought I was
3: like a Jehovah's Witness or something like that.
1: I think you have a terrible cell phone just because you, you want to get in studio on the podcast. So I it's...
3: do have an awful cell phone that reminds me to turn it off.
1: that reminds me i should probably turn it off yeah that's so that's a good thing yeah and we have, we have to get them to speak in their microphone so don't worry if you, you might hear them like kind of off into the distance but we'll
3: we'll point <laughs> them, put them back on
1: back on track um all right so it is spring break week for the usc football team so the players coaches there you know a lot of them kind of went out back to home wherever that is uh they have the week off some players stick around and, and kind of do workouts and stuff um you could talk to a couple guys, actually, I think, that are doing that. They're actually sticking around.
3: Yeah, some guys are going still to be, still be around campus. Um, for the most part, though, this is kind of a, a chance for players to kind of recharge to get into the push for, for spring football. I mean, this is, you know, they're going to start practice here in two weeks almost, I think. I think it's two weeks.
1: Right? Yeah, two weeks. They start at the end of March. Uh, they, they're they actually starting at a week later uh, this year just because there's new coaches on the staff and they want to get them... You know, acclimated as much as possible before spring football starts.
3: Yeah, no, and and I think that this is just a good chance for everybody to kind of, to kind of, like I said, recharge and and you know, because off-season workouts can be a grind. I mean, they're still doing, you know, they're working out every day, you know, Monday through Friday, and then you add in the fact that you know they're doing these throwing sessions, you know, and these players-only workouts, and then you add in the fact that they do these coaches' conditioning drills too. I mean, they're out on the field a lot. Right now, and, and it's good for them, I think, to get that kind of break before, because you don't want to spend a ton of time in spring football, kind of getting guys back into the flow, because you have such a finite amount of time out there that you want to accomplish as much as you can.
1: That's a good point, and I, I think I've talked to a number of players over the years. I mean, it's good for us that that they're out there working. I mean, there's more stuff we can cover, and we, we try to bring as much USC football information to the fans as possible. But then you start look at you know look at it and like, when do these players actually? have off and when do they not get to do something that has to deal with football. And it's really maybe about two weeks a year where there's like no football going on whatsoever.
3: Yeah. It's amazing. I, w- I was fortunate enough in college to, um, live with, uh, athletes. And I mean, this was at you know, at a, at a, big ten university, a baseball player. Um, I live with baseball players and it, it, it's remarkable how much time and, and all the other extra commitments those guys have, you know, whether it's travel, whether it's study tables, Tutoring sessions. I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, their days are very. I mean, it's hard to find hours. Like, really, to, to to you know, to even study. Nevertheless, like, have a social life and do stuff like that too, which is obviously was my favorite part of college. Right. Well,
1: everybody likes the socialized stuff, but yeah, to try and balance school and as much if it, just as much commitment that these guys have to the workouts and to. I mean, even just playing football. They're still. They've been playing football. You know, ever since. The Rose Bowl ended, it seems like, and they're going to you know, do it for spring football. Then they'll start summer workouts. Uh, May is kind of a slower month, but they still do a lot of workouts with Coach Carlisle. So there's still a lot uh, going on. Uh, you know, looking back in the last seven weeks or so that we were watching these winter workouts, we were out there just about every one. I think we are out there for everyone. Um, anything kind of come to mind? Like what what kind of stuck out for you from these winter workouts in the last seven weeks or so?
3: Obviously, for me, the most important thing has been watching the quarterbacks. I mean, I feel like that's what, I mean, that's the marquee battle. And, and I've been trying to kind of get a feel for, for what each of those four guys brings to the table, how they've adjusted to not having Sanchez around. I mean, Sanchez cast a pretty big shadow because of his huge personality and the fact that, you know, he's running around, jumping around. I mean, none of these guys are really like that. I would say probably the closest guy to to being sort of like that is Garrett Green, but it's, it's different. It's not as rah, rah. It's more kind of, you know, make people laugh, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, Garrett Green's a really funny dude. I mean, he's great. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. And I mean, so I like, I would say he's probably the closest like that, but you know, I mean, obviously it's fun to watch Matt Barkley and to see where kind of he's at. I mean, He's still missing some throws and stuff like that, which is going to happen. You know, I think he got picked twice in, in the in the last workout we were at.
1: Um, yeah, there was. We put up video highlights of that, and I think he did throw a couple of picks. Malcolm Smith, I think got him. I think got him two days in a row, actually. Yeah, yeah he Smith's been uh, pretty active out there. Yeah, I was gonna say, and that's that's the other thing. I mean, too. Um,
3: but let, let me finish my my quarterback tangent. Oh, go here. Ahead, yes. Well, I was just gonna say. So, I mean, it's fun to watch kind of how they like the defenses tried to prepare Barkley. I mean. They give him a hard time out on the field. I mean, they they call him names. I mean, they they, they remind him exactly how old he is all the time. Um, you know, a lot of trash talking with him. You know, a lot of trash talking whenever Corp or Mustaine throw to a running back. I mean, you know, you'll they start... They check
1: down. And, yeah, yeah, you'll
3: start hearing the chirping starts always <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's fun to watch. I mean, you know, obviously part of it is the defense is so competitive and those guys are obviously so competitive that they, you know, they want... Um, they want to shut those guys down, but I think the other part of it is that they want to prepare them. I think I was talking to Will Harris. This is months ago, and, and he said that you know if if Matt Barkley can't handle me, you know, cussing at him or calling him, you know, some sort of name that I probably shouldn't say, or, <laughs> you know, what I mean, if, if he can't handle that now, how what, how's he going to handle the Ohio State defense on the road doing it? You know, and and I right. think I think that's kind of a neat aspect to it. You brought up Malcolm Smith. I think the linebackers have also been a really kind of interesting position to watch just because, I mean, you've got a couple guys and, and Malcolm Smith and Mike Morgan that are just workout freaks. I mean, that guys that are fast and strong and, and, you know, it's just crazy athletic. And then you got a guy like a when he was out there who you could tell was just, I mean, you would, th- with quarterbacks and, and middle linebackers, I think a lot of it is you have to earn kind of the respect of the players around you because you're going to be called upon to be, putting people in the right positions and doing things like that galipo has that respect already i mean there's there's zero doubt in my mind and then it's also good to see luther brown back out and and kind of filling in as sort of you know like a utility guy i feel like is a guy who could play you know all three linebacker positions as needed and and the value in that is just you know remarkable it's through the roof to have a guy who could be a second string guy at three different positions i mean that's capable of You know, an an experience like Luther Brown is—it's just remarkable to have that.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think—I mean—if you look at the secondary, everyone's coming back, but the linebacker—the linebacker position is the most interesting. It's hard to watch the linemen when they're not putting pads on, yeah. And there's—you know—obviously there's there's mm -hmm. new linemen there, but you can see the linebackers working seven on seven. We got to see, uh, you know, Smith make the make a couple picks. He's around the ball when Gallipo was out there before he went out with mono. It's the poor kid seems to be. Just, I mean, just bad luck all over the place. But, mm-hmm. you know, he was out there. He's a ball hawk kind of guy, too. And, uh, you know, we just put up a video highlight today on USCFootball.com that showed another one of Malcolm Smith's picks. It was the last uh, seven on seven video from last week. We kind of spread it out to give you guys some more content this week on the, uh, on the team. But, yeah, the same thing, you know, Mike Morgan, Luther Brown, we did a video interview with him a few days ago and, uh, you know, talk about his rehab how his back is coming so it's it's a really interesting battle there in the linebackers and those those are positions that are I don't want to say they're more fun to watch but they're definitely a lot easier to watch right now because they're mostly doing kind of seven on seven work yeah
3: that was something I got asked on the message board about running backs and kind of how running backs look during workouts right now and and it's hard to really tell I mean you know I mean everybody looks like they're dicing up these holes but I mean, no one, no one up front during 11-on-11s is going to hit. Yeah. Or, or, They're know. in
1: shorts and t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, you know,
3: I mean, so it's hard to get a real big, good gauge. I mean, you can see some some of what they do in the open field, whether it's, you know, throwing a quick juke on somebody or something like that. But, I mean, really the the positions that I think get the most out of this time right now are obviously the secondary guys, the linebackers, the receivers, the tight ends, and the quarterbacks. I mean, the skill, like the skill position guys. I mean, this is really their time to kind of all get on the same page. And, and you know, and the linemen linemen are more technique oriented right now and doing stuff like that,
1: and I think that the one thing if you want to look and see how good the running backs are doing, you can actually hear this on the video sometime. listen to the the sounds that their their teammates make when like if they hit a hole fast and you hear, woo, like yeah. you know the running back probably made a really good play or and you can see it when they make the open field plays when like mm-hmm. a, a little Moody McNeil sidesteps somebody and leaves them, you know hanging there and and runs right by them. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's no pads and stuff, and the guy wasn't going to get hit anyway, but you do hear reaction from players. I think the players kind of have a pretty good sense of that would have been a good play. And, that, and you can see, and, and Mooney McNeil, you know, Curtis McNeil, who's a redshirt freshman out of Venice High School, I, he's someone that has got a lot of reps this uh, you know, this winter, and I think you're going to see him a lot in the spring, especially with a guy like Joe McKnight out. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that emerges from the spring, and people are like, who the heck is that kid? That, that kid's impressive. It's like getting a new toy,
3: yeah. <laughs> like, I, like honestly, or, or like, you know, um, it's like buying a new video game or something like that. I mean, you want to use it. I mean, you don't want it to collect dust. I mean, you know, if, if, if it's different than everything else you have, you're going to want to use it. And I think that's kind of their approach to Moody. I, I'm not 100% sure how many carry. Well, I'm not. I'm nowhere near 100% sure how many carries he's going to get, you know, in 2009 and during the season. I don't know how he's going to be used. All I know is that from everybody I talk to, especially the guys that I talk to on defense, that they're convinced that he's going to be on the field somewhere. I mean, just because of what he does and how different he is than everybody else they've had. I mean, they, I'm, I don't know. You probably know this better. I mean, I, has Pete Carroll had a running back kind of built like that who... Is like so compact and and shifty and strong. I mean, that's the thing. He's strong too. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, that's the thing about Moody is that like he would absolutely destroy me. <laughs> I mean,
1: just destroy me. Who well, would it? Well, on. I mean, but like, it would destroy me. Like, it would destroy everybody. But, yeah. but
3: I know. But I mean, like, okay, I th- I, like, I mean, you're a pretty big guy, and I don't know. Like, I'm like six two, and like, you know, a chiseled, <laughs> okay. a chiseled, a chiseled that's fifteen like, like pounds, like, Jello. Like, like no, like two percent body yeah, fat, <laughs> twenty soft like pudding, nice. No, but I mean, like, we're big guys, and Moody's probably what five seven. Yeah, he's 5'8". not that big at all. Yeah, and I mean, he would kill me. Yeah. Like, it would be so fast. I mean, like, and then he would run around me, too, like afterwards. Like, I mean, like, not only is he fast, I mean, that guy's legs are just ridiculous. Like, he has a kind of like a wrestler's body, like the way his legs are built. I mean, he's so compact and just explosive looking. I mean, I don't know. He's fun to watch. It's I, not
1: like he's a five seven super diminutive kid that, like, you know, will do well in college, be, but they wouldn't translate to the pros. Like, I could see his game translating to the pros because he's, he's got the tree trunk legs. He's got he's thick down there and he's shifty and stuff. So he would still have enough power and be that little kind of bowling ball guy. Very
3: Sproles, very Darren Sproles. Yeah. I mean, is, is like, obviously, I mean, that's, you know,
1: a little a premature, little, but yeah, a little yeah.
3: ways up. But I mean, that's a comparison that, you know, coaches that, that I've talked to have made it. I mean, to, to Curtis is that he is kind of like Darren Sproles. And, you know, like I said, I don't know how successful he's going to be when he gets on the field against, you know, say Ohio state or, or somebody like that. I, I don't know. And I don't think the coaches really know yet, but I. Do could get the sense underwater. that they want out, that they want to know, that they want to find that out, and I, I do feel like he'll—he's a guy who, if he—if he continues to progress and you know he continues to, you know, to do well academically and, and to stay out of trouble and stuff like that, I feel like he's going to be on the field somewhat.
1: We don't want to make this a whole Moody McNeil uh, podcast or. Oh, podcast we have, me and
3: you love Moody too. We like, do.
1: I do love the kid, but the the key point—one of them is different. I mean, if you put in a CJ Gable and you put in Stephon Johnson, you put the same number on them. I mean, you you, you could kind of tell but it's not but you put him in and you know this is a different kind of running back going there taking the ball and and one of the biggest i mean this is not gonna usc fans aren't going to like this and it's just the kind of the way it is back at, against oregon state i mean he came in late um and he, he was kind of dinged up a little bit because you know it was academic stuff when he finally got into the program but if usc would have had him available and he was redshirted i mean he's a kid that could have you know played Jaquiz Rodgers rogers on you know, against the USC defense on the USC's offensive scout team. And it could have made a huge difference in that game. And I, I talked to him about that. And, you know, I, I think you're going to see that coming up. I mean, even if he's, you know, the starting running back, he would probably have to mimic Jack Quiz Rogers when they play Oregon state this year.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that he's going to do. Um, and like I said, comparing him to, to quiz Rogers, again, I'm not hundred percent sure how good of a comparison it is, but when you look at them physically, I mean, he's a guy who's going to be able to hide behind the line. He's going to be able to, to be patient and find a hole because no one's going to be able to see him. I mean, like, it's, he's going to be a hard guy to locate when he gets the ball in the backfield. And I don't know, like I said, I mean, he's... Anybody who comes out, and, and you know, I encourage everybody to come out to a spring practice, you know, at least one. And, I, I, you know, there's a really good chance that he's going to make you say, wow, at least one time.
1: And, you know, and it's without Alan Bradford there, who normally is the practice player that makes you say wow well, you can now look to uh Mooney McNeil and uh, unfortunately Alan Bradford's not going to be able to do any contact stuff in the spring but he's definitely a guy that frustrates USC fans not because of what he does cuz he he'll break off an 80-yard run just about every practice and then you don't really see him in the game, so he's kind of. I was of to one say, of those yeah, Moody McNeil,
3: another running back to get excited about who you might not see on Saturdays.
1: Yeah, we put up a really <laughs> funny. Uh, if you haven't seen this on usefootball it's actually it's this is free content too, so you don't have to even be a premium subscriber. But we put up a Alan Bradford video. Um, our own Michelle Fallon did a a nice interview with him, but we also had a. Well, we didn't have it. He just kind of grabbed the microphone. Stephon Johnson comes over and grabs the microphone and starts to interview. It wasn't as so much as an interview. as just he's him just kind talking. of talking. Yeah, he's yeah. just
3: talking. He's not asking him any questions. He's just talking. It was yeah. great. It was really funny. It was
1: pretty funny. So you can see. And and we once I put that up on the website, I mean, Alan Bradford is one of the favorite players uh, on the team. And, uh, you know, the, a lot of people just want to see him do well. And, you know, he's the kind of guy that people think even if he never gets a shot, he could be not necessarily Matt Castle because he's played more than Matt Castle but a guy that does better in the pros than he does in college I mean that was a conversation I had with
3: the NFL Scout during the um, during the season was just you know I mean about the USC running backs was that you know that one of the added values I mean obviously you, the the downside is you don't get a lot of film on these guys because you know they're not you don't know how they're gonna handle 30 carries a game but you do know that they haven't taken the kind of the hits and, and that a guy like you know, Cedric Benson took in college, who, you know, just ran into the line for three straight years and, you know, gets to the NFL and, you know, looks worn down. You know what I mean? Like, granted, there's it, it's a two-way street. I mean, obviously there are examples to both. You know, Matt sure. – I think we've, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Yeah. Matt Forte was a guy who, I mean, was Tulane's offense last year, and then, you know, he comes in and he was the Chicago Bears offense this past year. So, But I do think that there is an upside to, to having guys that are a little more fresh – um, when it comes to, to, to the pounding that their bodies have taken, you know, through their college experience, especially a running back when there's such a short lifespan already for a guy to be successful. And
1: you know, we talked about this uh, last week in the podcast, and then I got more questions on redshirting, and Harvey Hyde and I addressed it a lot in the, the previous segment. And you know, he really brought that up as a point where why would you want Stephon Johnson to redshirt? that's another year in college as opposed to, I mean, that's just a year that he's not going to be able to play and earn money in the NFL. So it's, yeah, did he get all that many carries as a, a freshman? No, but you know, it he'll be ready when he's, his four years are done. And same thing with kind of like a Patrick Turner. I mean, there's some of the guys you don't really need to wretch but we don't need to get into that. We talked a lot about that in the previous segment, and we, we mentioned it last week, Dan, on the, uh, but it's, it's a, a topic that, you know, people keep asking. Oh, about It's
3: very it. debatable. I mean, you can just debate it. It's it makes for an interesting conversation and stuff like that. I, I mean, I think it's it's a valid question, but like you said, I mean, it's been kind of beaten to death at this point. I mean, all right, can, you can't go back.
1: And, no, and redshirt him. So no, you can't. Um, okay, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. We are going to talk buckets. We're gonna talk a little hoops here on the Parastyle yes! podcast. When My
3: we... favorite time of year.
1: Yeah, I'm not a, a an enormous hoops fan. I mean I I get into it a little bit but I'm not uh you know the die hard hoops kind oh, of I guy. I love the tournament. Yeah. The tournament I mean the tournament's definitely fun. Um USC of course made a you know miraculous run through the Pac-10 tournament. First I mean it really started at the end of the regular season. I mean they could have seriously had to play four games in four <laughs> nights and and pretty much assured themselves that they weren't going to get in. Yeah. They had to sweep the Oregon schools at home. And they did that. You know? They played they, well, too. Yeah, they, they played well. They took care of business and set themselves up for a really great run. And, I, you know, at Arizona State, you have to give them credit. I mean, they were on fire. I and mean, they playing against a good USC defense. Nothing was really going right for USC. And they had, at halftime, had no business winning that game. They come through. I mean, you were down there. But they come through yeah. and they start throwing bodies at everybody. Just trying it was desperation trying to make a play trying to make something happen and it just started to, to to flow for them a little bit
3: well one of the things you know watching these games and stuff like that and this will, this will be something for you guys to all look towards during during the tournament is the way a team comes back like you can come back in a quick spurt where you know i mean you're down 15 and a half and you know you get a couple turnovers you hit three threes, now you're down six and then you know i mean like you can if you come back quick like that sometimes i, I don't think that's the best thing to do i think it's better to kind of chip away and chip away and chip away and do it over a prolonged period of time because then it's more in the flow of the game and it's more regular and you're not expending the kind of energy you are to, when you're trying to make up 15 points in, in one play. You know what I mean? Like when you're trying to make everything happen. I thought that they came back the right way. I mean, they don't take the lead till
1: you know. Yeah, they didn't take the lead
3: until uh, Hackett's free throws.
1: That was impressive to me too is that they came back and got close cut it to two i think at one point mm-hmm. then went back up to like five i mean the, arizona state like you know stepped up and they would hit some crazy runner shots i mean they were hitting stuff yeah, their where, point
3: guard came to play he made some big shots it
1: was amazing that like they made plays that like oh you know we would have just been able to come back except they made that crazy play and and you know it's this made that play mm-hmm. and uh i mean that's just what kind of that they're thinking but they still did
3: yeah no it was it was a good game i mean Obviously, USC came back and won that game. Arizona State, this is what I think is interesting about the conference tournaments, and, and I think you saw this a lot you know, across the country, is that in some weird ways, teams like USC have an advantage because they're playing for everything. Sure. Whereas Arizona State was in. I mean, Washington was in. UCLA was in. Cal was in. I mean, USC had more to gain by winning these games, and, and and that's not to say that UCLA didn't want to beat USC. I, I mean, I'm positive they did, you know. And yeah. Cal wanted to win that game too, because you're always trying to improve your seeding. But I mean, I, I do think that there's something to it where if you're playing with nothing to lose, you tend to you know you tend to I think can you can do well in tournaments when you have that kind of mentality when you know that the only way we're gonna play in the NCAA tournament is if we win this thing, which was kind of the thought. That the coaches had kind of instilled in the players was that, yeah, we need to beat Cal, but then after we beat Cal, our job's not done. We need to beat UCLA, and now, and, and after that, we're gonna have to win again on Saturday to get to to, to what our goal is. And, and I think you know they did a fantastic job executing. Obviously, Demar Derozan was spectacular. I mean, probably assuring that he won't be back by how well Hi. he played. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, I'd be surprised. It's hard to say, but he definitely um... if he's a top 15 pick, he's gone. I mean, it doesn't make sense to say. I mean, I, honestly, I mean, the 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 road is littered with players who, especially in the NBA, when that first contract. I mean, it's good. I mean, a, a rookie contract in the NBA. I mean, you can get paid and yeah. then you and then you're there for three years. You do your job. And I mean, especially when you're young and you're 21 people, when you comes up time for your second contract people still see the growth possibility so it's like you know even if you haven't produced that much in those first 3 years you're going you're going to get a good second contract too it just doesn't make sense to stay honestly
1: he's i mean he's an interesting story because he definitely came on late and uh we had some reporters and one of them asked uh Tim Floyd this the other day we were you know listening and it, it was interesting what he said you know DeRozan in high school ran this like up and down mm-hmm. style play they never ran any half court and he's like you know you think of the NBA as a, a running league it's a half court league you got to play isolations yeah and that's what he had to learn how to do in college and I think sometimes coaches get uh you know criticized maybe unfairly when they take a superstar player and they don't look like a superstar anymore they' like like who could hold Michael Jordan under or 25 points in college Dean like Smith. Dean Smith you know yeah. um is was that what Tim Floyd was doing no I think that you know and and he also made a good point that OJ Mayo was two years older than him. You know when, totally when OJ played players, last year, too. it's totally it's, different. It's players. different. He's younger, and I think that's the reason why he might stay. DeRozan might stay is just because he is younger. We could you gentlemen know. wager this right now. I, I, I'm, uh, I mean,
3: I, I'm, I'm I don't think i are going on a limb.
1: I mean, you know, there's a no. I don't think you're going on a limb, but I think yeah. there's a, a a much better chance that he would stay than a guy like uh, OJ Mayo. But just because he is younger and he is learning, and it's going to depend what he does in the tournament and stuff as well, too.
3: Yeah, I mean, I just think that. I mean, obviously, going into the Pac-10 tournament, you know. Um, he's still projected as as a top fifteen pick, and I mean that was before the Pac ten tournament started. And I mean his stock certainly rises. You know, I mean a lot of scouts are at those games. A lot of people. Pat Riley was there, scouting yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, you know, there are, there are a lot of a lot of eyes are on you when you're on that national stage like that. And obviously he didn't look phased at all. No, uh, I mean was showed showed that he's got a mid range game. You know, I think that there are obviously there are aspects of his game that could improve if he were to stay a second year. Um, I think you know it's it's a lot like what we you know what we talked about with Pete Carroll and Mark Sanchez. Yeah, there's yeah, there's benefits to, to staying in school, and there're benefits to you know would it maybe make him a better pro as a rookie to stay in school? Sure, I
1: mean you know there could there's make no him def- more money. Yeah,
3: yeah, you know I mean it, and it could
1: the problem right now is there could be thirty guys out there that are projected as top fifteen picks. There's only you know there's only yeah. I mean, he's that- pretty
3: universal. I mean like I mean he because of the profile he came in with. I mean yeah. it's sort of like. In a way, when it comes, I think, some, somewhat scouting, especially in, in the NBA, is a lot like the preseason college football poll where, I mean, there's an advantage to people thinking you're good before you even do anything. Sure, You know what I mean? And people, you know, had penciled DeRozan in as a top three pick before he stepped foot on USC's campus, you know, I mean, looking at, you know, the, the, the early mock drafts and stuff like that. And that was, again, like I said, I mean, that was pretty across the board. And kind of, you know, as the stock kind of slid as he got up to a slow start and stuff like that, you know, I mean, it didn't slide the way if it would if he was pro- projected as like, you know, a top 20 pick. I mean, he, he, there's no way he falls out of the first round. I mean, you know, I, I just think that, you know, I mean, if he's healthy now, he's explosive, all those good stuff. I mean, if he's a top 15 pick, he's probably got to go. All
1: right. Well, let's talk about the tournament a little bit. Uh, USC gets a. 10 seed and they face Boston College, who is a number seven seed. I think they finished fifth in the uh, ACC, but they beat teams like North Carolina. They, uh, they and lost to
3: teams like Harvard.
1: <laughs> yeah, so they, I mean, <laughs> it's it's a little up and down with them. But BC's uh, 22 and 11, USC's 21 and 12. I mean, they were sitting at 18 wins, not looking good. And then obviously they make that run in the uh, Pac-10 tournament. Um, BC actually played USC back in 2001. I think USC fans will remember they made on that. They made a really nice run to the elite eight and, and got knocked out by Duke. But, you know, they beat a bunch of Sam Clancy, Sam Clancy and stuff was on that team. Yeah, it was, it was Trepanier, Jeff Trepanier, Sam Clancy, uh, Blumenthal. Um, yeah, David Blumenthal. I uh, think I remember that team because
3: that was the first NCAA tournament I ever covered.
1: Granville as,
3: as a reporter was. And I remember watching Sam Clancy play because I always thought he looked kind of like bald bull from Mike Tyson's punch out.
1: He was good. He, he could hit the <laughs> mid-range jumper really well. Um but anyway, so you know they beat BC back then, who was a number three seed. So there is some history uh, there coming in. I think uh, you know Tyrese Rice is a good player, he's a really good player. He's not scoring. Uh, he's a, he's a he's short. They list him at six feet. I don't know if he's quite six feet, but he's a you know point guard who can score. Uh, he's averaging I think five and a half assists a game at about seventeen points last year. He averaged like twenty one points a game. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have I think they were like thirteen and seventeen or fourteen yeah. and 17. they didn't they didn't win as much. He's distributing the ball a little bit more. He's still a scorer. Um he could pose some some big matchup problems for USC. I mean, they're probably gonna have to put a guy like Marcus Simmons and try to neut- directly yeah. on him. And they're to gonna try come-
3: to neutralize his, neutralize his speed with with USC size. I mean, I was talking to one of my friends back in Chicago about this, and um, you know, one of the interesting things about USC is that their size is always going to present matchups. I mean, the fact that you can run Hackett out there at 6'5", I mean, is always as your point guard, is always going to be, and the fact that he can do some stuff in the post, it's always going to be difficult to guard USC. I mean, always. But on the flip side of that, when you play big like that, typically it means you're not maybe as quick because you're big. And, and, you know, I don't know that they have anybody as quick as Tyrese Rice. I mean, he, he's one of the premier scoring guards, in, you know, in the country, a guy who's capable of going for 40. You know, at any given time, because he can get hot, he can shoot it, he can get to the rim. Good free throw shooter. I, I mean, he's he's just he's a very good all around player. One probably, I mean, when you look at the guards the guards in the country, I mean, I, I, he's he's right up at the top. I mean, he's a great great guard, and he's veteran. He's a senior. I mean, he feels like he's been there forever. I mean. I don't know, from watching ACC basketball, I feel like I've been watching him for, like, 15
1: years. Yeah, he's been around a while. He wasn't – he was not recruited, really, out of high school hardly at all, and uh, mm. it was pretty amazing. Tim Floyd couldn't believe that when he found that out, that uh, it was kind of a diamond in a rough that they found him. And uh But, yeah, you know, I think another thing, it's a very – they don't have the biggest – I mean, they're not, like, huge guys, but they have some physical guys, like, you know, maybe, like, the 6'5", kind of guys, thicker guys that can rebound. And I think, you know, could – uh do something to push USC round, around a little bit down there. I mean, they can play a really physical style. ACC is a physical league. Yeah, it's I, for sure.
3: I mean, it's a, if you. I mean, you know, it it, it. it. People always think the Big Ten is the most physical league, and and for the most part, I mean, it is. But that's just because it, that's their style of play. But I mean, the ACC is a very physical league. I mean, you look at what the ACC does to the Big Ten every year and their challenge. I mean, I mean, not only are they better teams, but they they push them around and they're stronger and stuff like that. I don't know. I still feel like this matchup tilts in the favor of USC. They're hotter right now. Certainly, yeah. I, I mean, they're playing their best basketball of the year, and, and they're healthy. Which you know, Tim Floyd is always quick to point out that when they're healthy, I mean, they can beat anybody.
1: I think they're eight zero when they've had this this lineup together, which they haven't had. They just haven't had their starting lineup, you know, most of the way. And yeah, you know, I, I think it would have helped them obviously with the Casey Cunningham who went out with the, mm-hmm. the injuries out for the year, but. You know, he, Tim Floyd said, with this lineup, you know, without Cunningham, obviously, but with this lineup, I mean, they've they haven't lost games, and yeah. uh, I mean, they're as healthy now as they have been all season, and obviously, they're hot now, like you said, and that's I mean, people. They're they're kind of a, a pick here, a stylish pick. Yeah, to, uh, they, to go they are, far. And, and you know, this, the the seven ten
3: game is always a good game. Oh yeah, it's I mean, I mean, that's it's of, it's always probably one of the best games in the first round traditionally, is that because you're getting two two pretty good teams against each other. I mean, like. Another one of the seven ten matchups is Texas Minnesota, which I think is just going to be a, a fantastic oh, great game. game yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. And I I do I, I do look at this as, as a really good game. I'm obviously interested in what the second round could could, could hold for USC. Right. right from from a personal standpoint, but. Um,
1: well, here, I mean, here's the thing. Like, if you'd much rather be, I mean, to me, I'd rather be a ten seed than an eight or a nine seed because you don't have to play the number one seed in the second round. You get to play the. Yeah. I mean, how much how much better is playing a seven as opposed to an eight or a nine? I don't know, but you know, there could be a big difference between one and two, or there could be. I mean, in some cases, you could say Memphis is a better play. You know, they're the two. I like Memphis and, better
3: than I like UConn. Yeah,
1: and then you know, yeah. UConn's the one, Memphis the two, but I think in a lot of in a, like a Michigan State. You know, which is you said that they're going to, you know, the potential to face in the second round. And just for full disclosure, Dan briefly attended Michigan State I wouldn't say briefly. Br- before failing out. I wouldn't say briefly. <laughs> you uh, were there for three years or three, three years. Three years. OK. Uh, and you, you obviously follow that program and stuff. And that could be a really interesting, you know. Those are the again. two teams
3: I've watched most this year. I mean, like, honestly, our, our USC and Michigan State are the, the two teams that I've seen play the most basketball this year. Um, honestly. And 100% full disclosure, I, I think Michigan State would win that game, um, but I do think again that USC, with their size, could present some difficult matchups. I mean, Hackett, a guy who you know, like I said, is is a strong physical, you know, six five kid. I mean, Michigan State, their point guards, you know, a speedy five eleven guy. Right. You know what I mean? And, and like, that's a tough matchup. I mean, you know, Taj Gibson. With his length and stuff like that, is a tough matchup. I do think though that Arizona State kind of showed a way to to defend Taj Gibson. I mean, Pendergraf pushed Gibson around in that game sure. inside and totally took him out of the game offensively. And and if USC is gonna be successful in this tournament and if they're gonna get to the Sweet Sixteen, Taj Gibson's gonna have to score points. I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind they're gonna he have didn't to get... score
1: that first half. I mean, even when he got, it, it was hard for him to get free, but when he did. He wasn't making the shots. He yeah, was out missing. of rhythm, yeah, yeah he got completely out of rhythm, and that that hurt them a lot. I mean, they he scores a few buckets. There's it's like a six point halftime lead as opposed to fifteen or whatever. Yeah. I mean, USC was-
3: has four capable scores. I mean, guys that, that are you know could could hypothetically go over fifteen points in a single game. I mean, and DeRozan, Hackett, Dwight Lewis, and Taj Gibson. Now, do they need all four of those guys to be playing particularly well to beat Boston College? No, I don't think they do. I think three of them playing well beats Boston College. Because a team like Michigan State, I think all four would have to play exceptionally well. And then you're going to have to get contributions off the bench, too. And, and they just, I mean, their bench has been shrunk um, in the postseason. I mean, only playing seven guys and stuff like that. I mean, in the tournament, you have to go a little deeper because of the kind of the grind and stuff like that. So it'll yeah, be I mean, interesting
1: to see what happens. It's so funny that the games can start off. I mean, USC could play Michigan State five different times and, and have it go five different ways where boom, once whole bunch of fouls start happening and mm-hmm. USC has to go to the bench or two. you know, like if there's, you know, if USC holds them, you know, plays tight defense, you know, there, I think they're 12 and zero when they hold teams under 60 points and um, they've turned the ball over a lot less. And it's, so you know, if they turn the ball over a lot more, it's a whole different kind of game. There's so many different ways these games can go out. And it's, it's just, that's what makes the tournament interesting. You you could have the same matchup five different days, and, and it, the games could just come out completely different.
3: Oh, the thing that I love about it, it in the tournament is the three-point shot. Is Because, that, I mean, that is such an equalizer in the tournament. Oh, Arizona it's,
1: State it, was on fire from three. Yeah, and, I yeah. mean,
3: you just, in that kind of setting, I mean, like, you look at a team like Duke, you know, a team that shoots a lot of threes, yeah. could, could be, you know, if good hot for a weekend. They, they could win both games by 30 points. And then they could play in the Sweet 16 game and not hit threes and lose by 15. Yeah. I mean, like, it's stuff like that. I mean, it, it's really very up in the air. There's so much parity this year. Um, I mean, obviously, USC was, a, was ranked in the top 15, you know, by some people to start the season. Sure. And, you know, and, and played some really good teams early and played some teams close. Like, I mean, nobody who knew Missouri was going to be as good as they turned out to be. And they played, you know, and they played Missouri tough. Obviously I mean,
1: they were winning by 9 until Cunningham went down with the yeah. injury. I think Floyd really believes that if Cunningham doesn't get hurt they they win that game. You
3: know, and then Oklahoma obviously to go to Oklahoma and only lose by one and, and and that was kind of I think when they kind of started to get the idea that yeah, maybe we could be good if we get it all together and if we're if we're healthy, you know. And and obviously I, like I said, I think Tim Floyd did a, just a fantastic job kind of coaching these guys through the tournament and and it, it is good. It's always interesting to see how teams though, who handle that um this is the other aspect of it is the mental aspect of it is how do you handle kind of that the mental exhaustion the emotional exhaustion of of the ncaa tournament after you know you've kind of you know put all your heart and soul into into three games and three days in in a conference tournament
1: yeah we'll have to wait and see they'll be playing in minneapolis Uh, obviously boston college has to Travel about the same distance as USC. Uh, and Michigan State, a potential second round matchup. That's a lot closer, being mm-hmm. the uh, the upper Midwest. But it's uh, it, it it's interesting. I think Floyd likes his seeding more now than he did even last year, having to play like a Michael Beasley in Kansas State, like so close to you mm-hmm. know their and, play- Bill, and <laughs> Bill
3: Walker. I mean, the, the, like yeah, yeah. Kansas State was a different team. I mean, they they were. I look at where Kansas State was last year. is kind of where USC is this year yeah. as far as sort of, like, you know, with multiple guys, multiple ways to to beat you. And, and really, I mean, obviously you have a centerpiece guy like Michael Beasley. And, you know, USC has a developing centerpiece guy like DeMar DeRozan right now. But the fact that it's developing, you know what I mean? Like, DeRozan could get 15 quietly, and if he's attracting all this attention, you know, Hackett could go for 20, or Dwight Lewis could go for sure. 20, or, or Taj could go for 20. And, like, I really – like I said,
1: I I feel fairly confident on Friday that USC is going to beat Boston College. My my key is is Dwight Lewis, and uh, it seems like if he can hit shots, he went uh, uh, when they went their bad stretch. He was not hitting shots. It just seems like he's such a he provides such a lift. Like they can. Make their plays. They can get it inside the Taj, and he'll get his points. And gives and uh, it took him thirty games to
3: figure out that he needs when he's not hitting his jump shot to go to the rim. Yeah, <laughs> that was the key for him. That was the key for him in a the second half. Yeah. yeah, a couple easy ones. That was the key for falls. him in the second half against Arizona State. Was I mean he was miserable. I mean in the first half, just I mean, nice guy was terrible. Yeah, like doing them no, no good things on the on the basketball court. It was like seriously, like you might as well. You know, putting putting Romeo. You know what I mean? Like, at this point, it doesn't even matter. You know what I mean? Like, you, you can find anybody to go out there and miss open jump shots. I mean, it was, they weren't even guarding him. But, like, then finally in the second half, he went to the rim, he used his size and his, his athleticism, kind of got going that way. And then when it came down time to knock down the big shot, you know, he stepped up and, and he did it.
1: Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting. Um, I don't know, you got a good feeling that USC could make a, a nice tournament run again. I mean, they definitely have the talent to... Certainly to put it together. Um, Are they going to, you know, it depends how they play. And you, you mentioned this before. They've had a lot of crap going on, a lot of off the, you know, off the court stuff. You know, there was fights, whatever injuries. But if you want to be playing your best ball, the most cohesive ball you've played all year, you know, it, this is the time to do it. And that's what they're doing. They're playing that as good as they played right now. And that's, I guess that's where you want to be heading into the tournament.
3: Some some of the keys always for, for good tournament runs are, are veteran leadership, which USC certainly has some in Taj Gibson, Daniel Ackett. I mean, those guys are, are veterans. Um, you want good guard play and you know, you got to make your free throws and, and down the stretch, USC has done those things. So I mean, I like I said, I, I I wouldn't be shocked if they beat Michigan State if they play them in the second round. It wouldn't shock me.
1: No. I mean, but you know, obviously Michigan State's a great team. You're gonna see I mean, if one of their ge- aspects of their game falls off, if they stop out rebounding their opponents, if they start turning it over, I mean they only turned the ball over five times against Arizona State and they they were terrible. Double digit turnovers every game mm-hmm. at the beginning of the season. Late in the season, that definitely wasn't the case. But if they start turning the ball over again or you know, Lewis doesn't go to the rim and just it starts missing open. I mean, they kind of have to not screw up and all these th- the things that they do well. They have to kind of keep doing them well, and sometimes that falls off. and And I don't think they're they're really going to be able to win if this, especially yeah. against Michigan State. Yeah, they're, like t- they're
3: I mean, even against Boston College. I mean, like I said, they're talented. Like, but I still feel like their margin for error isn't huge. I mean, because they've shown, you know, that they can kind of fall apart. At, you know what I mean and stuff like that. And I don't know. I mean, they've been in so many close games. I expect them to be, you know, very mentally strong and very mentally tough. But, um, like I said, I mean, they they have shown the ability to kind of crumble in, in some crunch time situations. That being said, they've also kind of stepped up recently in, in those tight games. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Cal was a tight game. You know, obviously Arizona State was a very tight game. And, and they really stepped up and did things to win the game instead of things to not lose the game.
1: All right, Dan. Well, it was our first. I think our first basketball talk with you on the podcast. I, don't I know love buckets. Did. I love he buckets. Does love the hoops. Uh, thank you very much for coming into the studios and joining us, talking about USC football and getting. Thanks for buying some me lunch. Uh, I haven't bought you lunch. Um, <laughs> I'll give you a, a Canada dry ginger ale, or would you brought you brought that yourself? I did okay. bring that right, on my own, well, it's, it's and then I couldn't
3: o- and then I couldn't open it because we started recording. So it was like yeah, it's just
1: sitting here, just sitting there, all glistening and cold and. <sighs> I do like ginger ale. I'm mostly only drinking on planes, but I do like ginger ale. That's weird. All right. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again for joining us, and we will, I'm sure, talk to you next week uh, after spring break. Uh, we'll be leading up one more week of winter workouts until spring ball starts. So, yeah, it's, it's a little over a week and a half, and the spring football will be kicking off. We'll do a, a big preview next week for spring football. And Sounds get you good. On again. Sounds, Sounds good. All right, everybody else. We will see you next week for that USC football spring football preview. Thanks for tuning in.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on ParastylePodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.